This is episode 214 of How About That Cigar, recorded live at the Corona Cigar Studio. We have Scott Pierce and Josh Haberski on the show to talk about the PCA and some other industry topics. Please take a minute to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. Now on with the show. Corona Cigar Company is your one-stop shop for all your cigar needs. Whether that's a brand new humidor, a box of those new cigars you've been waiting for, a top-of-the-line cutter or lighter, a place to enjoy the finest cigars and spirits with friends, or the only cigars grown right here in the Sunshine State, we've got you covered. Come visit one of our retail locations for the ultimate cigar experience. Visit us online at coronacigar.com. How about that cigar? How about that cigar? How about that cigar? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Corona Cigar Studios for episode 214 of How About That Cigar Live. Thank you so much for watching live on Facebook, live on YouTube, and if you're listening after the fact on the audio podcast. Guys, thank you so much for making How About That Cigar a part of your regular audio podcast rotation. And in the Corona Cigar Studios this evening, we have Justin, we have Raul, we have Matt, that's me, and... Go ahead and smash that like button while you're at it. it. Go ahead and smash, Subscribe. smash the buttons and do all the do all the things in the social medias. And, of course, as always, join us in the comments. Let us know what you guys are smoking and drinking as you are watching along with us. Uh, and, and Raul's got lovely hop water. Uh, I've got some Balvini 14-year Caribbean cask, scotch. And I'm smoking... Yes. Let, let me let me Cerberus? do that for you there, buddy. Thank the Cerberus. Cerberus. Uh, so, Justin, what are you smoking? I also, also have a Cerberus. Also the Cer Cerberus. And just a heads up. And a 1919. Just a heads up for all you fans out there. Justin is on fire today. He is on fire. He's, He's on, on fire. fire. And fuego. Um. So. Last week's show, I want to thank everybody for watching and commenting. Uh, last week's show was a really kind of special, different show. We had some first responders from New York City on the show uh, who uh, were among the first responders to uh, be working the morning of and the days following uh, 9-11. Uh, and we just really appreciate everybody um, you know, being thoughtful with questions, comments, things like that and uh we really appreciate wanna... we appreciate those guys being on the show yeah definitely and afterwards they invited us out to have some what what do you call it his wife's yeah, master trolleys it was like a, a meatballs or something right like yeah. some kind of italian some kind of italian dish he said you guys come out here and i'll feed you the so you're 20 pounds heavy huh? yeah yeah so basically we're gonna go to new york and, and get fat we're gonna come home significantly heavier yes uh but yeah it was a it was uh you know it was a different show but uh, one, we appreciate you guys being along Good. with us. I um, like that. It's a little yeah. tone, a little respect, you know. Yeah, that, yeah. Uh, just, just trying to, yeah. trying to tell a sort of different story. Yep. Good job, Matt. Um, and very good. We, because it was sort of a different show, a different feel. We stayed away from sports talk, but sports talk is back. No, briefly. no, no. But guess, guess who's not back? The Vikings. Aaron Rodgers. Aaron. Oh. Oh. <laughs> oh. 
Sorry, yeah. Raul. Hey. Sorry, Raul. Sorry, Raul. Your Jets. What? My the Jets, Jets, my are, Yankees, the, this is some the, BS. The Jets are cursed, bro. Like, legitimately, yeah. they're cursed. So, And I don't even follow this stuff, but what's what's the scoop? Tell me what's going on with, with the he Jets. He tripped over. I a, remember that. He uh, tripped over a nail file yeah. and broke his. <laughs> a nail file. Vagina. <laughs> Ooh. No, it's a fully severed Achilles, Achilles tendon. So you're saying he's out for the season. Oh, he's done. He, he might I, not come back ever. So, I don't think he'll ever play again. So no. You think he did it on purpose? He. When he was on the Pat McAfee show, he was saying he'll be back before the season's even over, which is yeah, that's, that's not just ridiculous. Happen. Yeah, he's just saying that for his fans. He's gonna, yeah. go, he's gonna go in another cave. Yeah, yeah. Dar- a darkness yeah. retreat. Yeah, I want to go. Yeah, maybe not. Gonna go find some tablets in a cave somewhere. Uh, yeah. So the Jets uh, lost. They got their tails to the Cowboys. Cowboys yesterday. It cost me five cigars. Yeah, and the cow. I mean the Cowboys. Uh, the yeah. Cowboys. I mean, who are those guys? I, I they're they're the a team with the best defense in the league right now. They, okay. they are, they are good. They are good right now. Um, my Green Bay Packers won the first game against the Bears, but lost by one point. Ooh. One. I was cheering for them. One yeah. lost by one no, point oh, to the Falcons. It, it hurt. The Falcons. It hurt. Well, the, the they, thing, the thing is, the Packers offense played pretty well okay and the pass defense played really well they could not stop the run to save their lives mm. the running backs and the quarterback were just like every time they run they run the ball eight yards i mean i i seriously who, think their average yards plays? per carry was like eight who even plays on the falcons um guys I can't, guys I can't with, name one person on the falcons guys with last names <laughs> I, I honestly yeah he's got a point yeah um, oh, the so the Minnesota Twins are still holding on, doing pretty well. Okay. Um, they sure lost today to the Reds, um, but which is a good team this year. I think uh, so. We're still in the lead by six games, I believe. I think the what they call the magic number to guarantee a playoff spot, I believe, is uh, six more wins. We need six more wins. Um, well, so, how many games left? Uh, 13 games left. So you're saying so, there's a chance. You're, so yeah, my Yankees have 13 games to make up the four games they're behind. I thought they were 14 games behind. No, remember, it's my bets are Twins' final record against the Yankees' final record. Oh, the, yes. Um, I, I'm not even sure right I, now. I'm I, keeping it on my mind because that's 25 cigars out of my collection. Um, and out of what? The be, collection. Because we're, uh, you know, this is a Minnesota you know we're here in minnesota but really none of us right now are vikings fans I, i've been I mean, to a game like with work or something we'll they take me once a year so the vikings are it. the vikings are zero and two yes yeah so you're okay. so you're saying there's you're a chance saying they have more phone they, they have more turnovers than they do touchdowns but, i think but i heard yeah. rogers is going to the vikings now or is that just next year that's oh, next, next year, year. Yeah, he's next following year. Oh. Favre's path yeah, oh, so I saw you, a meme or something. You retire, Barb, you, you yeah. leave the Packers, yep, yep. and then you go to the Jets okay. for one season, okay. and then you go to the Vikings for two seasons. Oh. And we make it to the championship. So make it to the NFC championship <laughs> game and lose. Rush. Again. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So we got two that's more what, years. That's what Aaron Rodgers does. He he won the Super Bowl once. Yeah. And he was in the NFC championship game, I think, six times. Mm-hmm. So he's Seven and one, kind of like the or, LeBron sorry, James. He's, sorry, he's one and seven oh, wow. in winning NFC championship. Kind of like the LeBron James of football. The, <laughs> ouch, ouch. That hurts. I don't know Got about him. that. 
All right, guys. I, I know they're not here to listen to us talk about sports all night, yeah. are they? No, no, no. no, no, no. Oh, okay. We have we have got to talk about cigars. Oh, you we mean gotta, we have guests on the show? We got to talk about our beloved United States government. Oh yeah, those guys. Those oh are the yeah, cool guys. We, those are guys like fighting for us at the uh, government and stuff, right? We love. Should we the United just States. be quiet? Let them run the whole show. Just, hey. Justin is Justin hey. is feeling it. Justin is feeling it. It's in fuego. <laughs> I'm on one. Let's go. <laughs> all right, uh, let's. Bye. Let's jump into our special guests of the evening. And those are brought to us by our friends at Drew Estate. And the Liga Pravada 10 Selection de Mercado is handcrafted to highlight the bold characteristics of a specially curated Connecticut Criollo Kappa leaf that's grown exclusively for Drew Estate by one farmer in the famed Connecticut River Valley. The name is Spanish for market selection, inspired by the old practice of selecting wrapper leaves for certain national markets by color. Drew Estate chose only the most beautiful Rosado Connecticut Criollo leaves to grace the Selección de Mercado. The Rosada Kappa leaf surrounds a blend of tobaccos from Mexico, Nicaragua, and Pennsylvania to create a cigar that is deeply balanced, bold, and sophisticated. This cigar measures 6x52 and will be available in 10-count boxes to international markets. For more information, please visit DrewEstate.com. All right, ladies and gentlemen, if you would please put your hands together and help us welcome to episode 214 of How About That Cigar Live from the Premium Cigar Association, Mr. Scott Pierce and Mr. Josh Haberski. Gentlemen, gentlemen, welcome back to the show. Evening. How's it going? It is a lovely, beautiful evening here in cool Minnesota. Oh, the weather's perfect. It's, it's so perfect. perfect. It's I, so I see perfect. Scott's got a window open there. Scott's got a window. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I, just got, I just got yelled at. Apparently, they can smell it upstairs. So. Oh. <laughs> right before we came on, just a little point of clarification. Technically speaking, I think the number one defense in the league right now is actually Cleveland uh, Browns. Believe Ooh. it or not. Statistically well, thank speaking, you for, thank, thank you for the you. correction. Yes. I appreciate that. Yes. I I like the I like the shift. You know, <laughs> it's not just this. It's not just this. This dynasty for years and years and years, you know, because last year or the year before that or the year before that, would anybody have said, Who, who's the best defense after two weeks in the NFL? You would never, it, say, you would never say the Cleveland Browns ever. Right. They're actually well, two. And I one. like that. They're actually two. and they're, Yeah, they're doing well. Yeah. Are the Jets doing? Oh, never mind. They're, Sorry. they're one and one. <laughs> what, about like the, what about the back. commanders? Are you guys commanders fans? No, yeah. I am not. I stick to three sports and pretty much exclusively pickleball. Okay. NHL. NHL. I'm I'm ready preseason. I'm going to the game. I, Sunday. I'm a huge Capitals fan. UFC. Love the pot. You know, I, I went to the one recently in Boston. Saw the Sugar Show, mm. and then uh, Formula One. I, I, I love. Really? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Racing. Are you going to Vegas for the the, the uh, Formula One? You're yeah. not. No, I go to Miami every year and okay. sit with uh, George Padron and his uh, yes. cigar lounge right on the track. I mean, it, there is nothing better than <laughs> watching a Formula One race, smoking right. a cigar. They got the Florida Kanye cocktails there. So oh, yeah. if if heaven can yeah. be similar to that, I would be okay with it. Yeah, and George Padron will be sitting there next to you too, right? <laughs> yeah. Not in George's heaven. <laughs> uh, I grew up in Salt Lake, so Seahawks were my team as a kid. So I've kept my Seahawks yeah. legions. But uh, as far as baseball and hockey, uh, very much adopted the Nats and the Capitals. So, okay. yeah, yeah. Well, 
Matt and I watched the UFC fights the other on Saturday. That was a good. It was a good, really, really good card. That was a good card, and yeah. the final, the final fight was really, really good. I mean, came all the way down to um, a draw decision, yeah, split draw. Um, so it was, but it was, it was. There were good cards or good fights on the card. There was one where the ref uh, ended it before he should have. Yep. The fight was not over. There was no tap, and the and the ref ended the fight. Shouldn't have done that. He should get fired. Yeah, and there was some, you know, a few uh, shots below the belt here and there in a couple of the fights. There was one bloodbath. One, oh, yeah. it was so it was bad. Brutal. I, I watched some of that and then saw the highlights. I mean, there's been some good UFC fights all in all. I've gone to Jacksonville. Most recently was the Boston one, and, like, mm -hmm. that atmosphere was electric. I mean, Sugar Sheen, he's yeah. a man. He puts on a great show. It was – and to see him win, like, everyone was rooting for him, and everyone was shocked and, like – I should have bet at the uh, – they have the Encore Casino there. Everyone was betting because the odds were so much stacked against them, and everyone got a good payday there except me. All right. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to get – I'm going to fire up this – You guys want to see some booty? This cigar right now, and this is – That is. From Romacraft Cigars. And, Raul, thank you so much for this cigar. This is the Quinquagenario from Romacraft. Mm. Uh, and – Ernie Carrillo uh, had a hand at this, made it Ernie. Since I, since I can't say or read that word, I just call it Skip's birthday present. Skip's birthday. There you go. <laughs> uh, so let me grab our little friend here. And no, that's not a euphemism. Ooh, but he's going to be playing with some butts right now. <laughs> what is that? That is that is the Saka Squatch right there. Yeah. Uh, so let's, uh, let's get this baby fired up right now on the Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust Toast Cam. When lighting your cigar, it is important to be patient, pay close attention to detail, and focus on the tobacco. In the same way, Steve Saka brings those same qualities to the ultra-premium cigars of Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust. Patience, close attention, and focus on the tobacco are the qualities that Saka and Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust have become known for. From Sobra Mesa to Umbagog, Dunbarton has a blend that will fit your palate your mood, and any occasion. Visit DunbartonCigars.com to learn more. Props up on the multitasking there. I don't know yeah. how the hell you're doing all that. I was like, who's going to read this? And then he's just <laughs> doing the damn thing. It's like playing guitar and singing at the same time. <laughs> right, right. I can't play guitar and sing at the same time. I can play piano and sing at the same time. Oh, there you go. Well, there you go. That means you can talk and light a cigar at the same time. <laughs> yeah, but add a third thing and I'm fucked. It's yeah. yeah forget yeah. about it. <laughs> You're struggling there. <laughs> All right, guys. So um very excited to have you on because, you know, this this has been a good year for the premium cigar industry. And I'm not saying it's all kittens and rainbows, but it's been a good year for the premium cigar industry. So um start us out by giving us sort of the the 30,000 foot view of this fantastic uh ruling uh back in August uh by Judge Meta and what it means for us. Yeah, effectively it vacated the entire deeming rule from the uh, FDA. So this goes back um to the previous lawsuit and when that previous lawsuit came out and said that, you know, the um uh, FDA acted arbitrary and capricious, uh, then this was a follow-up to that that basically was a request to review the entire aspect of the deeming rule to say, hey, look, this should be vacated because 
they haven't done the requisite you know research they haven't gone through their actual process for creating the rule um and judge Meta came back with um what i personally felt was a pretty scathing uh, rebuke of the fda in their entire approach of this right they they put so many carts before they actually ever even thought about a horse as it relates to the premium cigar industry and how they should go about even if they should regulate the premium cigar industry, which we all know was never supposed to be a part of the Tobacco Control Act. So it was it was great. It removes it back to where it was prior to the Tobacco Control Act. Uh, no deeming rule. Therefore, you don't have to worry about substantial equivalence. Uh, you don't have to worry about products going through all these different types of reviews. It very much is business the way that it was before the, all of this came out um, in 2016 and then the Tobacco Control Act prior to that back in 2009. Uh, that's not to say that there is no regulation. It just takes it back to where it was previously um, within Congress, uh, Congress's purview. Uh, but you also have to realize, too, uh, that there have been a myriad of different types of regulations and policies that have come out across all 50 states. Um, and that was actually one of the important components. Um, you know, we submitted a lot of research um, to the courts uh, and our briefing that kind of goes through all of that because the antis, their big argument was, well, if you vacate this, then it's the Wild West. Cigars aren't regulated. It's just going to be everybody out there getting addicted to cigars. And so we offered a lot of research that showed all of the different laws that are in place in all of the 50 states, all the different Tobacco 21 laws, all of the other aspects that they have with no smoking and all these other things that exist out there, which gave the Judge Meta a lot of basically coverage to say, look, if I do this, it's not like the, this, this industry just doesn't have any sort of oversight. Um, so there's still a lot of oversight that exists, which is why we continue to do what we do in the states. But that's effectively where we're at as far as the federal government is concerned, is that there is no overarching FDA rule that exists right now to try to govern premium cigars or regulate premium cigars the way that they were trying to, which is basically effectively as they try to regulate cigarettes or other products coming onto the market like vaping devices. Okay. And from a, a legal standpoint, um, how likely is it? Because we're, what, five or six weeks past when when that uh, judgment came down. And um, at, at this point, because um, I know there's a time limit that they have, how likely is it that the FDA is going to appeal? So I'll, I'll speak to that one and kind of I agree with uh, Scott's comments. You know, this was a three-part lawsuit. The first one was on warning labels. The second one was on pre-market review. And the third was the overall challenge of the deeming rule. Um, the FDA had 60 days to appeal um, based off of our calculations. And we were discussing this with our one of our partner organizations, Cigar Rights America, today, is that it would put it at around the October 10th date um, for the ability to appeal. Now, FDA has sent manufacturers letters recently in regards to user fees, which is another thing um, that is addressed in this, this uh, decision. Manufacturers will not have to pay into the user fee pool moving forward. Now, there's some questions about what happens for the six years that they were paying user fees for um, while they were illegally being regulated by the Food and Drug Administration. But in quarter four of this year, they will not have to pay user fees. And the FDA has come up with two different pathways uh, for that. That letter going out, you know, three, four weeks before the actual appeal deadline is a good indication that um, they're not likely to uh, appeal the decision. 
Um, there are some causes for, for concern um, outside of the definition of itself. I mean, this is a monumental win. It protects, you know, most of what's in the humidors of our PCA members. Um, however, you know, if you have cigars that are infused or flavored, there's a big challenge going on with that. The, this court decision does not encompass any of those products or machine-made products. There are eight classifications for the definition that was used in this decision. And there are some pending rules that the FDA is working on right now that are outside of the scope of, of premium cigars, but that would actually adversely affect our membership. And we're weighing in on those. And I'll, I'll, I'm sure I'll talk about that throughout, throughout the night. I, Josh, I have one question on those eight. The only one we were reading them earlier, the only one we couldn't figure out was weight per six pounds per thousand units. What exactly does that mean? That's the one that threw me off. That's the only one I was like, eh, what is this? That's yeah. The, well, go ahead. Uh, no, go ahead, Scott. Uh, so basically, if you take each individual cigar and if you have um, a thousand of them, it's got to weigh more than six pounds. So that's kind of the, the so that the. So the, the, the real reason for that is that okay. if you look at most of the, the, the little cigars that are sold mostly in convenience stores mm. um, and or cigarettes or the smaller ones, those don't add up. So most of the I, I, there really aren't any that would be classified as a premium cigar that you would know of yeah, that you would be able to say, yeah, this doesn't fit within that six pounds per one thousand. OK, so you can't get a thousand Philly blunts and it'd be <laughs> uh, six pounds. <laughs> Correct. All right. Well, well, cur currently, um, one one kind of additional question because Josh, you mentioned user fees. Um, I mean, I I have my own sense just because of you know once I, I know once the federal government gets their hands on money, they're very unlikely to give it up. But is there any chance at all that any companies are going to see user fees uh, refunded? I think there's a, a, a good chance. Okay. Um, you know, there, there, we've had conversations with attorneys about this. It's an ongoing thing. Um, I think it's premature to say which direction it's going to go in until after the, uh, you know, the appeal deadline. But there actually is a process in place um, for companies to request user re refunds uh, on the, the Food and Drug Administration website. So if you overpay something or something's damaged, uh, you can request those. So to this level, um, based off of the deeming rule being struck down for premium cigars, there really isn't any any precedent for that. Um, but, you know, it's if they're conceding right now that no future user fees should be paid, at least in quarter four, I think they understand that there's there's going to need to be some concessions. Um, but uh, their, their letter was, um, you know, pretty humbling, considering, you know, a couple months ago, they were arguing, um, you know, that the, the full rule shouldn't be vacated, even in, in updated uh, memos that addressed some of our arguments saying, hey, you know, you got these impending rules, because, you know, if you recall, this decision was rendered, you know, over a year ago, and um, we were waiting for the remedy itself. We had won the case right before last year's trade show, and um, we were still kind of in that limbo period now. So, um, you know, we filed motions and, and information, worked with our lawyers and said, hey, these new rules are coming out. 
we we've already seen the uh, the victory. Now we actually need to know what the remedy is. And fortunately, we got that, and um, it was a a resounding victory. I can tell you right now, it's having a ripple effect in the states and localities. Um, where, you know, some legislatures are trying to do some crazy things and we're saying, well, didn't you see this court decision where the FDA lost uh, unequivocally? Um, you might want to reconsider that. And it's also opening it up some new opportunities where clearly premium cigars are different than other tobacco products. A federal judge agrees with that. And begrudgingly, the FDA has to agree with it because of the results of the court decision. Yeah. So... Let me yeah, think back on that, uh, that question you asked. What is it more likely that the government will just say, listen, you don't have to pay your taxes for this for the following years rather than give money back? Because we know how they are. Is, yeah, I mean, more you know, for, for um, you know, in the future, that's what the guidance came out uh, last week to some of the manufacturers. They were sent these letters and it said you won't have to pay qu quarter four, or if you do, then you can submit that. Um, the real tricky question. You know, we have this definition, but the FDA basically said to folks, you know, this is an honor system. You know, what what is a premium cigar and what's not submit? And you have factories out there uh, and companies out there that are producing, you know, 95 percent premium cigar that meets the definition and maybe five percent. That's not what happens there. And, and again, there's a lot of questions, especially in those um, manufacturing facilities that are doing the multi multi-use uh, premium cigar and some products that don't meet that definition. Um, the product standard, there's another comment deadline of a really bad regulation that we're fighting that is October 6th that involves um, inspection of foreign factories, foreign and domestic factories that would place uh, restrictions like um, ventilation requirements, sanitation requirements, like a lot of heavy cost burdens on um, entity or on countries like Honduras and Nicaragua and the Dominican Republic that don't have the infrastructure to support that in any industry, let alone the cigar industry that is located in rural areas. So um, we're fighting that concurrently. But that's one of the questions that we've asked is like, is this a regulation that's going to apply to a facility that has, um, you know, several different products? First of all, how can they regulate what happens in another country? Right. I was just, and, yeah. And they're talking about cigars, but what about the sneakers that are made by six-year-old kids in, in <laughs> other countries? Are they going to start regulating all that or... I mean, yeah, so I mean, some of it was even like water mitigation efforts, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, effectively what they would have done is it would have shut down Dole in Nicaragua as well. So, um, I mean, the, the way that they try to regulate as far as standards, right, is that if you're importing something into this country, there's a set of standards that you have to abide by and a whole host of other ways in which they do that. But to your point, though, is how is that enforced and, and everything else? I mean, ultimately, it, it it's not really feasible for them or tenable. So, you know, at that stage, it was that's kind of what we we work with there in that regard. So it you're you're right. I mean, it, it you know, here's the big challenge. And it's just really interesting. I was at a conference recently and Brian King the new um, director for the Center for Tobacco Products was there. Um, I, he's been in the position a year now. Um, and it's interesting because, you know, again, it's really easy to point to a lot of examples that are outside our industry. And and we all of us, it's very clear, the lack of congruity, it just it, it it's blatant for us. Um, but they don't care. Uh, and it's not be, and I don't know if it's necessarily that he just doesn't care. It's mostly because his mandate is 
tobacco products. Mm-hmm. And he effectively said it doesn't matter what the alcohol industry does because people brought up flavored vodkas, right? Because they he, they were talking specifically about things like the menthol cigarette ban and flavored cigar ban. And he's like, I don't care what the alcohol industry does because that's not my purview. So mm-hmm. to your point with other products, I mean, it's, it's frustrating because we as consumers don't live in a vacuum. But the way that they want to write policy, these bureaucrats, is they live in a vacuum. And it's, yeah. it's irrelevant to them how the sneakers make it to market, how Dole does what they do. They're solely focused focused on, on tobacco. And that's why bad policy continues to get churned out at the federal government level is because they work in silos. They don't care. And it's not the way people live their lives. None of us live our lives in a vacuum or compartmentalized. Mm-hmm. We consume tobacco the same way and alongside with the way we consume alcohol and food and the way we also purchase other goods. And they don't govern that way. They don't write policies that way. And that's why so many are ill-conceived and again you know the courts again this was very ill-conceived and hence the reason why the court completely vacated it yeah it seems it seems like with that too it's like you know you have a win with something and then all of a sudden they want to throw something else at you and they're always going to have something to push back at you guys all the time there's always going to be something no matter what and um you know i i myself and i'm sure roll and matt we do appreciate everything you guys do oh yeah as far as going out there and fighting because you guys are the face of the industry as far as the government's concerned for the most part yeah and we really do appreciate everything you guys do yeah uh, and this year has been the most successful you know whether it's in the courts but also in the states in a very very long time there's a lot of cause for uh, celebration within the industry. I think that by and large, the past few years, you've seen, you know, new products. That's something that would not have happened if the FDA regulations would have been implemented how they were intended to do. And, you know, I, I think that uh, Dr. King's comments that, that Scott was referring to about the alcohol policy, that's a, a good way to kind of pivot away from the the real issue. Um, I would retort to to him, you know, then why are you applying a pharmaceutical and food product standard to tobacco products, which is exactly what he's doing. Um, So, you know, we have been consistently uh, weighing in at every opportunity. Uh, We have, you know, Patrick Anderson uh, on our team, Glenn Loop, Ryan Parada and and Scott and I, uh, the four of us, every chance that we get to kind of wag our finger or, uh, you know, use the carrot or more of the stick than the carrot with the FDA, um, we are doing it. So, you know, nebulous, non-binding documents. I mean, we released uh, something on civil money penalties today. We're weighing in in preparation for future battles. So it's like you plant a seed and you watch things grow Um, And arguments and the data a lot from this court case and and the expense that was paid by the associations, we got a lot of good information that we're going to be able to utilize uh, for many years to come. Um, You know, I, I think before this court decision and the remedy the talk of the trade show because it was, you know, before or after that was uh, released was all about state victories and the new tax caps, kind of the rolling back a lot of the clean indoor air act provisions, allowing cigar smoking indoors with adult beverages, having the ability to pair a, a fine cigar with a fine spirit, which seems just like logical policy to you or I. Uh, but a lot of uh, states and localities had that forbidden. And um, we're aggressively 
pursuing this. Uh, you know, I think it was two or three years ago, Scott and I sat down with the board and talked about, you know, Vision 50. What what can we do to the future to advance the uh, industry, not just play defense? And I think that you really saw that uh, this year come to fruition with a lot of positive bills getting signed by both Democrats and Republicans in the states, in states such as Connecticut, which is, you know, can be a challenging atmosphere, uh, but, you know, states like Montana and, and localities like Waco, Texas, all across the country, um, we've been firing at all cylinders. And a lot of it's, you know, Glenn, Glenn Loop at the, at the states and, and our team working in concert with the, the vision of Scott and the board of directors. Well, one individual state that comes to mind because uh, I got a text earlier today from our friend uh, Matt Tobacco from the Smoking Tobacco Show. And he, you know, being from, you know, out east, he wants to know about the potential tax increases in Massachusetts and, um, you know, where the PCA is at with that in regards to fighting that. Yeah, we're, we're, we're fighting it tooth and nail. You know, it's a 50 percent tax increase. Um, there's a new state association that's going to be uh, formed in Massachusetts. It's one of those things where we alerted people very early and got a lot of uh, interest. Massachusetts isn't a state that typically has great participation, um, but this was kind of a rallying cry or a wake up call um, because Massachusetts sees what states like New York have to deal with. So I think that, um, you know, in the in the future, we, we oppose the bill at the uh, hearing level. So there was no actual vote. Um, there was discussion, there was hearing. Um, and uh, we have some folks that are prepped when it does going in front of a formal vote uh, in Massachusetts. Uh, but it, it's something ongoing. It's unique, the states this year, uh, Glenn and I were talking earlier this week or, or earlier this morning about how you kind of typically know, you know, by March, April, exactly how the year is going to play out in the states. This year, not so much. We have a positive bill in Michigan. We have a negative bill in Pennsylvania, negative bill in Massachusetts, positive bill in South Dakota. Um, and that, those are things that have just popped up. Last week, we worked on nine different states. Um, so it's a little bit of a unique year in that sense. Um, you get a little bit of a lull. Uh, there's been no law whatsoever. And there's a lot going on, you know, federally, um, credit card competition act, credit card swipe fees are the second or third largest expense to retailers. We're trying to get uh, competition uh, within that. So we're working on advancing legislation and we're working with Dick Durbin uh, and Roger Marshall on uh, senators on, on that. So kind of an unlikely bedfellows where, you know, on this retail issue, um, Dick Durbin is doing something positive for retail in general. And as a byproduct, it would be something positive for PCA members. Which I think that means that ski resorts are officially going to open up in hell now. <laughs> hey, I'll, 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 I'll try some of the hills, you know, <laughs> just give them a quick little run. See if, you know, yeah. see how the feel is. Yeah. So yeah. I got a question for you. So, um, a premium cigar association, how involved were you with some of the brands that have the flavored cigars? Um, Drew Estate's a huge, yeah. huge uh, flavored cigar company. They're a huge company, period. Um, and they're our friends. But um, how are you 
working with them on the flavored stuff, or is that something the PCA is not worried about? No, we're very involved, and we're very obviously worried about it. We are against any and all prohibition. I mean, let's be real here is that, you know, these are adult products. Um, you know, look, look at the average age of an acid smoker. It's 52 years old, um, you know, and, and obviously we have the definition that exists there. But, you know, as you're looking at the, the myriad of issues, one of the things that's really interesting is that they never really want to drill down into some of the specifics as it relates to, well, what do you mean by characterizing flavor? What do you mean by cigar? And so they keep that vague on purpose because the vagary in this instance benefits them to have a very broad brush that they can then paint to try to go in and regulate. Again, we understand what their mission is. Their mission is just to get rid of all tobacco, no matter what. They want it off the market completely. They don't want anybody touching it, right? They don't want anybody lighting it on fire. So that's that's the the, the that's their you know standard right there so we fight back against all of that we work very closely with drew estate we work very closely with caa and everything that we do to fight any kind of flavor ban we're opposing obviously the flavor ban that's going on within cigars you know but even further than that if you take a look at it it's really interesting as we were going through go all, all the way back to the original case um and and um, after the the warning label case and we got a working group set up there were we were one of three working groups that that were set up in the white house under the trump administration and we were one of them and they were actually kind of surprised that an industry as small as ours got a working group but you know you know we were able to pull the right strings there and get the working group and so there was a lawyer there her name was may davis and she worked on this issue with us and so she's the one who was putting pressure on the fda to get some responses and so we met with her after like the second week that she'd been working back and forth with the fda and she said you know it's really interesting for all other tobacco products they are solely focused on youth access as soon as we start talking about your products they suddenly switch to the product itself hmm. because there is no evidence of youth usage of these products and so when looking at it there's a whole host of layers to be able to pull back again what do you mean by characterizing flavor? What do you mean by cigar? And when you look at the enforcement of people uh, who are underage folks and sting operations and everything else, out of the whatever database it is, I think we were less than 1% of anybody that violates any of the underage smoking. So you're looking at a place of like, well, again, going back to the comparisons that we were talking about we have a better age getting than a lot of bars and clubs are around this country. Right. Mm -hmm. And so for somebody to get in and drink a super sugary drink and get absolutely hammered in alcohol and potentially go get into a car or get alcohol poisoning or do any number of harm to themselves and to people around them, we know that there's nobody that's sneaking in to our shops and going in and trying to find these products. A, most of them, you wouldn't even understand what to even look for. But second of all, we do a phenomenal job in all of our shops and lounges for age gating and making sure that we don't have underage people coming in to buy the products. So we're, we're very, very um, ensconced within this fight and we don't believe any of these products should be banned. There might be some nuance to some change that we might have to get used to as an industry as it relates to things like characterizing flavor. But at the end of the day, we are full stop against any prohibition because adults should be able to make choices um, a, a according to, to pallets and things like that. And quite frankly, it's it, you know, there's no issue with it. We don't have any data. that They don't have any data that supports their position in this regard. Yeah. And I think the only distinctions between, you know, what some of the other individual companies have versus the PCA stance on this, you know, everyone's opposed to it. The rationale for opposition is what differs a little bit. 
Um, this is a bottom line issue for brick and mortar retailers. If flavor products are prohibited, you know, most retailers would lose 15 to 20 percent, um, you know, unequivocally, sometimes larger percentages in certain areas. So, you know, our opposition is really rooted as a, you know, small business issue. If flavors are prohibited, you will have stores shutter, you will have employees laid off. It would be problematic. Um, mm -hmm. We have been consistently uh, a fighting force at the states and localities against flavor bans. Um, I have, you know, voiced all of the opposition on, you know, before the FDA for all the listening sessions, much like CAA and uh, some of the other individual companies. So, you know, we, we are against prohibition. We had a different definition of premium cigars. We thought that was uh, strategically the best possible move to get the off ramp for the, uh, the most amount of products. Um, in the end, we were right um, with the court decision, uh, but now we move on to the next fight um, and we have lessons learned, arguments um, that can support this next fight uh, as we move forward. You want to do those viewer? We got some viewer. We got a Rob Johnson. Would we see a price increase because of this ruling? Or would we maybe not see a price increase? I don't think the ruling will have any impact. I think the price increases are gonna are much more market factors with the cost of everything kind of going up, with the cost to actually produce the cigars. Uh, the rulings um, shouldn't have anything to do, should have no impact on this. Okay. And another question is he's worried about those states that are going with the 50% um, markup. Yeah, especially state, individual states, yeah. Do you think they'll start going online more if, if that does happen? Yeah, not no, necessarily, I think. Well, I, I'll go further than, than you could go. But basically, we're starting to see a lot more just um, kind of in informal. Um, people are kind of returning to brick and mortar um, post-pandemic now. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, COVID. And so we're starting to see a spike in a lot of <coughs> – God, I just got to tickle my throat. COVID. <coughs> COVID. Yeah, as soon as I said that, right? <laughs> um, so I think that the, the, the rulings won't because um, – we're seeing a lot more produced, right? Now there's freedom. Now they don't have to worry about worry about a predicate date or meeting any kind of weird guidelines about a 2007 date of your product coming to market. So that opens things up. So I think you're gonna you'll see a, probably an influx of a lot of brands wanting to produce more. You see a lot more companies. We saw that at the trade show this year. Mm -hmm. We had 52 new companies show at the trade show this year, right? That were bringing cigars to market. Most of which were cigars. There were a handful of accessory companies. So. I don't think it will necessarily lead to online. I think online, obviously, it's an important component of the, the entire supply chain that exists out there, right? And it's a good way for products to get out there. Um, but brick and mortar, there's a lot of store exclusives that are coming on. Um, there's a lot more boutique and others that aren't really online that are finding their ways in to some niche markets within some brick and mortars through events and some other things that they're doing. Um, I think that... Um, places like Massachusetts and New York, what they see is they see those taxes. That's what's leading people to go online to places like Cigar Page, right? Um, and and it's interesting, right? You bifurcate the, the consumer base, right? And we've talked about this at the trade show. And those that only want to buy online, they're, they're the commodity hunters. Um, and, and there are 
that's a big important segment because those are the guys that are just kind of looking for the deals and want to sample and the cigars are commodity for them. Uh, whereas for the folks that really enjoy going to the lounges, they enjoy the total cigar experience, right? They like being there amongst their people. They like being able to hang out. They like smelling. They like the whole aspect of going into the lounge of being able to, to do that entire sort of cigar smoking journey. Right. Um, and so it's two different experiences as far as that's concerned. The high taxes is what's going to drive people to buy online more so than these court decisions. Um, and that's why we continue to work with, with states to try to get these tax caps and to do some different aspects of some parity as well as more streamlined tax collection for the states. And so far, we had six new ones this year. We're up to 16 state tax caps. So we've got some good information that exists. The states that have implemented them have not rolled them back. So just as you were saying earlier, right, you know, governments don't like to give money back. Well, mm -hmm. if they were losing money off of these tax caps, they would have rolled them back years ago. Michigan, just what, two years ago, just put theirs in forever. Like they got rid of the sunset on the tax cap and have kept it because obviously it has not hurt their state tax collection there. So we're seeing progress in that regard because states are recognizing that, you know, it's 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 the customers are going to go uh, where the cigars are not going to be as expensive. And so in order to give local brick and mortars, you know, competition and and your constituents competition, don't give online sellers an, an undue advantage. Yeah. It, and just to those two questions, I would say that, you know, you look at across the board instead of a price increase, if, you know, the cost of shipping and the uh, labor, those can be controlled forces outside of kind of the government regulatory sphere. You could actually see a bit of a price drop because not, you know, not anything super significant, but, um, you know, folks will be paying less to the federal government, they won't have to pay uh, the, the user fees first and foremost. But another, you know, achievement uh, of the association's work has been there have been no uh, legislative tax increases that have gone through in the last three years. So you've had, you know, taxes roll back in, in a lot of states and no tax increases. Now, there are problems. We have to, you know, fix what's going on in, in New York and their crazy taxes. California has a, a specific algorithm. Um, but, you know, Utah. yeah, if you address some of those certain states, um, by and large, you know, manufacturers will be saving some money in certain areas um, of the equation. And Scott was spot on um, as it relates to the online versus brick and mortar. You're seeing legislation that streamlines tax collection, where if you're shipping into a certain state as an online retailer, you have to pay the tax. So there's not that competitive advantage, uh, which was once had because of the Wayfair uh, court decision. The only advantage that uh, online retail has is purchasing power, the volume of, of so the breaks in cost that they get there. But you have some major retailers that are out there that are doing significant volume that kind of, um, you know, makes that a little bit more equal in the playing field. Well, one of the things I'm curious about, and, and this is really for us as consumers and our viewers to get some gain some perspective on how important organizations like the PCA are, organizations like the CRA. You know, uh, if we go back to when the FDA first announced, hey, we're going to start doing this, we're, we're going to, whether, whether it's user fees, deeming regs, substantial, substantial equivalency, all of it, you go back to the beginning of that until August 10th, 2023, when this ruling came down from Judge Meta. 
what did that cost the premium cigar industry? And, and as far as what the money that, that went into it from CRA, PCA, how much, what is, what is an effort like that cost to accomplish? Yeah. So just for our legal bills was just under $4 million, just from the PCA, which Ooh. is um, uh, just was half. So CRA, and I know there were some that the CA did in there as well, as far as the warning labels are, were concerned. Um so say yeah, that, so just say about, that number again. Four just, million dollars. Four million just from just from our fees. Um uh just for just anything with legal. That does not include any of the other costs associated with any of the advocacy or any of the research. What that does include just simple one research um that, that went into um to, to the filing, but that does not include. So when you total all that up from 2016 of what we have spent in terms of the entire advocacy um, and, and everything else we've done in support of the lawsuit, it's about $25 million over those seven years. Wow. That's just PCA. Ooh. Yeah. And, and thank you. Then, so then take that number, take that number and let's, Let's look at it from, you know, the alternative universe side of things. Let's say the PCA and the CRA and, and the other organization, advocacy organizations didn't exist. And the FDA got to do whatever the hell they wanted. And all of it was, was okay. And, and everything got, you know, steamrolled right over the cigar industry. And then flash forwards 10 years in the cigar industry, how much, how, in in if it's even possible to quantify in a dollar figure how how much money would that have cost the premium cigar industry over the course of 5 10 20 years into the future if if everything just would have been allowed to continue on the way the FDA wanted just to maintain products that were on the market in order to come through would have been about a half a billion dollars yeah for so, those products so 25 so people, million so- is worth it yeah, yeah. So, and and again, that was, and so when you take a look at like, you know, you're, you lit up, you know, you saw the sack of squash there. Chances are Dunbarton wouldn't exist if this had gone through, right? Foundation wouldn't exist. Crowned heads wouldn't exist. You know, so, so many of these products and these companies most likely wouldn't exist anymore because they all came into being after 2007, after February 15th, 2007. And so it'd be very, very difficult for them to be able to submit the application for substantial equivalence to say their products are substantially equivalent to anything that was on the market prior to that date because their company didn't even exist then. Now, while the cigar really hasn't changed since the 1600s when it was invented, that's not what the FDA cares about. They're, they they very much were going to look at basically the the name and the product and the, the consumer understanding of that product as it comes into the market. So you know, so all of those brands and the products. So even you know even a company like let's just say you know Tatuaje, right? Fairly new once the, this all came out from 2007. It might have been a challenge for them for any product that came out after that date to be able to come back into it. But the brands that were released before then would have gone through the same process. So every think about all the brands. Think about all the brands Rocky has and all the different lines that he has. Mm-hmm. You know, we would have had to submit an application for every single one of those lines. 
right? Right. Same, you know, and then you can go back. And so you can, so just imagine that times however many products exist out there um, that we are looking at north of a half a billion dollars just for those to be able to be maintained. And most of them probably wouldn't have been out there. So not only would it have cost us a half a billion dollars, consumers, your consumer choice would not would be nothing and and the cost would then increase because of what you had to go through for essential equivalents so brick and mortars would have shut down you know just the entire the entire nature of the of the industry would have just been completely uprooted and shaved down to just a handful of different places you can get products and the products would have been severely limited and it would have changed completely you wouldn't have had you, you would have uh, like Europe, right? You would have plain packaging, like way almost exists in Canada, <laughs> you know, with, with big fat warning labels on there, all of the beautiful designs, all the collectibles, all of that stuff goes away. All charitable giving goes away. All of this that I'm wearing right now, it's all gone if we don't spend this money. Yeah. Well, so if we look at it then a little further from that perspective, you know, that, that, you know, we spent, as a as an industry and and you know the people who really get behind this fight and there are so many um, great manufacturers and retailers and people from the PCA and CRA and other organizations that get together and put in a lot of work and a lot of money to add up to that twenty five million dollars that we spend so that hopefully the industry doesn't lose like you said a, potentially a half a billion dollars but looking kind of ahead now with sort of a you know there's there's clear skies ahead, you know, obviously the government's always going to continue to try to regulate, but for the future, you know, it, it would be nice if we didn't have to spend $25 million to keep the government off our backs. So how do we look at the future from a perspective of, um, developing strategies or, or I don't even know how to, put it into words exactly, but sort of either developing strategies or learning ways to, to sort of prevent this before it happens. So that in the future, maybe five, 10 years down the road, we don't have to spend another 25 or $30 million on this. We can, we can take care of the, uh, those with preliminary conversations before either the FDA or some other bureaucrat organization tries to put forth uh, overarching regulations. Yeah. If that, if that question makes any sense, I think you kind of know where I'm going with it. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, look, there's, there's, um, no matter what industry you're in, there's always going to be the threat of, of some kind of regulation that comes down. We, we, I think that there's an understanding now, even with the court decision, I think that there's been a matriculation within this industry that understands we're in a regulated industry. We're always going to have a target. So we need to be able to have, various strategies that are always being implemented. So first and foremost, again, being very judicious with how we continue to go about, you know, getting funds and keeping them there so that we have basically a, a treasure chest to be able to fight against these, um, whether that's continuous lobbying with, with particularly in the States, because the more, victories we get in the states the more we amass um you know battle victories against the the total you know war tide that exists out there that gives us good information to continue to fight some of these things there there will be future lawsuits there's no question and so we plan for that in terms of how we go about running our business as an organization to ensure we have funds to be able to go ahead and do that the second part of that really is ultimately the larger strategy which is how do we build a regulatory environment that we know we can exist and thrive in, continue to innovate, bring products to market, that the adults can enjoy the products. We can continue to operate in this manner 
that also satisfies the regulatory appetite for the bureaucrats. And that's that's what we're looking at right now. Um, that's what this decision has afforded us is the opportunity for us to approach it strategically, to approach it in a measured way, and to do it in a way that's responsible that we can, again, make sure that we adhere to best practices that's going to support a sustainable future for the industry, while again, answering those big sort of regulatory burdensome questions that the FDA has that's out there. And so we look at, you know, um, it, one of my very first board meetings I had with the organization, they talked about various aspects of, of regulation and self-regulation. And, and the thing is, is look, I came from healthcare, right? And healthcare, you know, and I'm radiology, they had their own mechanism that they had for this accreditation process. And so when the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services wanted to come along and start doing regulation for reimbursements, they didn't create anything new. They just lifted what was already there because it was effective and it was the least expensive option for them to do it. So we have like the Office of Management and Budget with the, with the White House that's going to review regulation. And that's something that we can obviously look at, right? The Motion Picture Association, the pharmaceutical industry, they we've got a long history of industries that have developed mechanisms that when the time came for any kind of regulation and policy, there was a platform that already exists. There was a program that already existed. And so it behooves us at this point then to start working on those things. Um, we do a lot of it just sort of, I think, by nature already and, and other aspects that exist out there, whether it's Tobacco 21 or some of these other things. But organizing that in a codified way is going to benefit us so that when they inevitably come calling back again, you know, doing the big bad wolf and huffing and puffing, we have a house made of brick rather than straw ready to answer that call i got a question for you how can the average person that goes to a cigar lounge or but even buys online how can we help you um solidify that war chest that you're talking about besides like uh besides yeah, besides uh besides buying besides buying cigars yeah. and, and supporting yeah. the yeah like you know um nra has guys that call us all the time and act for money yeah. Is there any way we can do something like that besides annoying me on my phone call three times a day? <laughs> For sure. There's a, a couple of ways to get involved with the organization. We have cigaraction.org, our portal for all things advocacy. Um, you can sign up to receive alert, grassroots action alerts for free. Um, Pennsylvania, there's one issued for tomorrow. We have a hearing on Wednesday that we need people to write letters to their elected officials. So you can go on to our website. And if you're a Pennsylvania resident, we encourage people to go there and, you know, voice their concerns. Um, we are hosting a fundraiser October 18th in Washington, D.C. Uh, so if, if people are in the, you know, or want to travel to D.C., uh, we are raising some money for our advocacy tools. You know, we provide software resources to state associations um, and we're getting ready to announce some major initiatives uh, going into 2024. Again, we this is a, a positive reset for the industry. Um, we have some tried and true battle tested plans um, that we're going to uh, continue to implement, but also grow. Um, so, you know, if we have a larger consumer army, um, you know, our organization, Cigar Rights of America, um, that that allows us to um, be a lot more effective in, in getting the message out to elected officials. Um, I think a lot of the state level victories 
have been um, really on the backs of two or three retailers in most states. Retailers have significantly stepped up. Uh, it's in their political DNA. I'm using a Glenn, Glenn Loop term there. Um, but they have been really um, working hard at advancing uh, legislation and fighting bad legislation. I think we're at over half of... Um, you know, creating state half, you know, over 25 state associations in the states. And we continue to get more and more um, created and the resources they need to grow. Um, so I expect announcements there. You know, Scott also talked about kind of inoculating ourselves uh, from future regulation through self-regulation. Uh, expect some more information along those lines in October. Um, we're working on finalizing some some plans. And again, um, many months prior to this decision being released, there has, were a lot of conversations about what does the future look like after the decision. So once that um, you know 60-day appeal period is up, there's going to be a lot of information getting out there on the advocacy front to make sure that we're taking the necessary steps to have a positive five, 10 year, um, you know, existence forward and even into the future beyond that. Awesome. And just a quick follow up. Uh, also, uh, premiumcigars.org slash donate uh, is where you can also, we've just, we've got a, our um, thing we do for, um, battle for brick and mortar um so anything on there you know five ten fifteen twenty five bucks whatever it is uh you can donate that'll go straight to our state advocacy defense fund cool well one one of the things that i'm always curious to hear because i know that that both of you and and many others from um you know from the pca organization and people from cigar rights of america you know um you sit down and you have talks with you know, senators, congressmen, state lawmakers, uh, lobbyists, attorneys, um, and just like any other, you know, conversation when you're dealing with with somebody who is attempting to impose regulation, you you learn along the way that somebody or multiple people have bad information. You know, and a lot of this, you know, bad regulation is typically built upon bad information. Um, for each of you, I'm going to start with Scott. What What is the dumbest or most ill-informed thing you have ever heard from somebody, it, whether it's a lawmaker or somebody from the FDA or 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 some other regulatory organization? What What is the most ill-informed? backwards thing you've ever heard from the mouth of one of these people one of the more recent ones that i just thought was a little ridiculous um i never would have thought that a jonas brother would have caused such an uproar within <laughs> the uh cigar industry um and uh it was interesting because um we were on a, a call and and uh, i think josh it was with nasum and they had a bunch of the antis that were on there and i think it was the lawyer for the you know campaign for tobacco free kids and uh he said, you know, I, I've got, you know, daughters that were teenagers, so I know who Joe Jonas was. And then they literally showed the cover of Cigar Fixano with Joe Jonas on there. It was a 28-year-old man at the time, right? And uh, they talked about how, you know, it was the most popular, you know, Instagram or whatever else that had been liked or shared or whatever, right? And his conclusion was that because Joe Jonas was a teenager who, you know, had lots of teen girls that followed him, 
that this was the cigar industry's way to try to get 10 year olds to buy cigars. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. So I was like, yeah. So, you know, that's like saying, well, you know, because Miley Cyrus was Hannah Montana, then she should have never done wrecking ball. <laughs> I love it. I got yeah. two, two, two for you. Real yeah. quick ones. One, every time the American lung association is on a, uh, meeting where, or a, a listening session, they tell, they call us racketeers that we associate <laughs> with uh, organized crime. I think it's kind of cool as a, a, a student of like mafia history and stuff. So I'll, I'll take that. Hmm. Um, but it's, it's always comical of like, you know, they associate with organized crime, they're racketeers, the tobacco industry. It's, it's comical. The other one, dumb policy, New Jersey, um, introduced a, a law that didn't end up going anywhere, but it would require all pharmacies and tobacco, anywhere that uh, sold tobacco products um, to, they were, would be required to sell nicotine gum and patches to quit smoking. And we responded, you're like to them, well, you know, you realize that nicotine gum and patches are for cigarettes. Our members don't sell cigarettes. And they were just like dumbfounded by that, that it wasn't an inhalation to get your fix of nicotine. Um, ultimately, they ended up amending and, and the bill didn't go anywhere. But that was like the biggest divide of like practical knowledge of, of tobacco versus the the craziness of policy. Funny thing about that. I was like, did they know that they're going to get our people addicted to nicotine by doing this? And second of all, <laughs> yeah. it, it, it's a great case study for us though, because we got so many people that called in and sent letters within like the first few hours, this thing was dropped. The sponsor pulled it. We got a call from his chief and he was like, we've never gotten this many calls on a, sponsor, <laughs> on a bill that we've ever sponsored before. So within 24 hours, they had it pulled, they had it rewritten and, and put it out there without, you know, with an exemption for premium cigar shops and lounges. But I was it's like, yeah, I'm like, I don't think they understand. This is, again, why I say people act in a vacuum and don't understand. But oh, I mean, yeah. honestly, mm -hmm. if we all started chewing nicotine gum, we get addicted to nicotine. But all of us could go in the next month without cigars if we really wanted to. I don't want to, but we could. The stress level will be through the roof. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. I would, yeah, exactly. I would stop smoking cigars, get addicted to nicotine through the gum, and then start smoking cigarettes because start of Start chewing, yeah. Yeah. No. I got, oh, yeah. Go, go ahead. ahead. Well, I, I got a yeah, quick yeah. question. Um, the BCA, how much interaction do you have with oh, them? Yeah. Um, it's been increasing as of late, obviously, with the big pavilion that they had at the trade show. Um, but we also talked to them fairly frequently in terms of, um, you know, they were just here uh, two months ago for our uh, panel that we had with the Congressional Cigar Caucus. Um, you know, we got to go out and have a cigar on the Speaker of the House's balcony, and they were able to participate and offer their perspective as boutique uh, manufacturers as it relates to the regulatory environment. Um, so we do talk to them fairly frequently uh, in terms of, uh, their specific niche within the industry and their perspective and, and what their voices and and really the data from their companies really provides for the total narrative that, that we tell at a regulatory level. Yeah, I think Dr. Cav, he was at uh, Cigars, and, cigars baseball and Baseball last Thursday. And he mentioned, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, yeah he, he mentioned that you guys were smoking a cigar on the balcony. Yeah. And stuff. <laughs> it was pretty, uh, pretty sweet. So. Yeah. yeah coincidentally there's about 30 congressional offices where you can go and smoke and <laughs> outside, actually right. in the office and that's why we you know 
we partnered with Rabbit Air, and at the trade show, we actually released a U.S. Capitol Lincoln Memorial uh, <laughs> special edition. So, like, members of Congress can go and buy that for their office. You know, fair market, completely within the, the ethics rules. But you know, they don't if they don't want smoke in their office. And a funny story, and I've told this to hundreds of people. Um, I was in a meeting with a member of Congress and another company, um, which I won't name. But we were smoking cigars in there and we actually set off the fire alarm. And <laughs> we had already left and the Capitol Police were coming. Oh, wow. and, uh, all, all of that stuff. And they were just like laughing. Oh, it's the cigar guys again. So <laughs> that's, why, that's why we're prompted doing the partnership and an idea of one of our board members to do this with Rabbit Air so that we can still enjoy cigars, but not set off fire alarms. Right. Nice. nice. <laughs> all right. So now... As we look forward from a regulation and a, uh, an advocacy standpoint for us as consumers and retailers, as we look forward, you know, obviously we have to be diligent. You know, we know that the, you know, the government's always going to try to find ways to, you know, to regulate where, where they can. So for us as consumers, and, and we do have a fair number of retailers also that, uh, watch or listen to the show. What is the thing that that you would say we need to be the most diligent about moving forward uh, to just keep ourselves level and afloat and safe? Safe. Um, the the answer is going to be different. I think for for however you find yourself. If you're a consumer. Uh, best thing to do, again, cigaraction.org. It will keep you up to date on anything that's going on in your states. Um, and, and again, being able to respond. If you live in a particular state where something's going on, whether it's this Pennsylvania asinine bill or whether, you know, next year if we're trying to get a tax cap like in New York or something, it's very, very helpful. Just as we talked about with New Jersey, right? A lot of consumers writing letters about how stupid this thing is. Uh, helped us, right? So you actually can have a great impact, right? Um, in terms of that. So as a consumer, that's being diligent, being able to, you know, engage with, with us in that regard so that that way, when we send something, you know, it's actually legitimate and it's going to be something that's, that's very targeted towards a, a specific legislative action. For retailers, there's, there's a number of different things. And like I said, we're, we're matriculating into an industry that, that is regulated, right? So if we take this approach, whether it's alcohol, whether it's pharmaceuticals or others, um, let's, let's start taking some next steps as it relates to taking some of this regulatory burden onto ourselves. It will be significantly less if we take it on ourselves. So continuing to be diligent and having a program in place that, you know, for age gating, uh, making sure that the stores that if, if, if a regulator walked in and if you kind of have to look at it this way is that if somebody were to walk in your shop who wants to shut you down, don't give them a reason. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and so making sure we're staying vigilant as far as that is concerned, um, ensuring that products that are on your shelves or products that should be on your shelves um, and ensuring that things like taking it and really ultimately taking a look. If a regulator walked in, would this product be something that they would say was targeting kids? Right. Um, and just just certain things like that, how you approach your public facing, right, and making sure you're responsible and how you're promoting while they're also on social media. Because I guarantee you, if they're using the cover of Cigar Aficionado with Nick Jonas, they're going to call mm -hmm. social media 
for examples. And so we've got to make sure that we don't fall into this trap of being comfortable and thinking that they're not watching us anymore because they're going to watch us even more now because they're going to look for reasons and examples to try to come after us. It's not going to be tomorrow, but they're going to build the case. So let's make sure we're very responsible in this regard. We are going to be coming out as PCA with um, more programs and other things that are going to kind of help with guidance and some of this uh, and some of these other things to help people pulling some resources from different um, locations for different educational informational things for people and making it easier for people to access that information um, so we're not in a guessing game um, but ultimately I think right now as retailers let's take that eye towards if a, an anti-smoking person walked in and was looking to shut me down that eye towards what is it that I need to change or do here to not give them any reason and looking both at your shop as the way that it stands and merchandising. Um, but then also your public facing, what does the website look like? Is there age gating? Do you, are you IDing everybody when they're coming in? And then the other aspect of it too, is what does your social media look like? As long as that social media um, is not, you know, doing anything that would be cause for concern as it relates to hey, could this be construed as marketing towards kid? Could this be misconstrued? You know, I was talking to, um, you know, Pete Johnson, he, he, you know, a good example. He called because he was concerned about the potential for his advent calendar to come across the wrong way. And so he went the extra mile in terms of putting the tissue paper on there. And I think that's the way we all need to approach this is making sure that we are being 100% judicious in how we're approaching this and looking at it from a very critical eye. Yeah. I got a question from left field. <clears throat> Should be we... Should we be, should we be, excuse me, blah, 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 blah. should we be worried about the marijuana surge across the country? Hmm. A lot more states are becoming legal with marijuana. Should we be worried about them, either a shop mixing it, cigars and marijuana, or do we think that it's going to hurt our industry at all? Not really. I mean, you, you haven't seen too much of that, you know, conflation or issues related to that. They still have a lot of challenges of their own. Um, it's weird because a lot of the uh, leaders that are pushing for lax uh, cannabis policy are the ones pushing for strict tobacco policy. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, it's a, a kind of an odd dynamic there. I think that, you know, it will evolve uh, as the, you know, the scheduling of uh, cannabis as a, 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 a narcotic, you know, as, as that's reduced, eventually uh, it will be. But um, that's not something that we've seen. You know, I think there was a licensing thing in the city of Chicago where retailers that sell tobacco would be able to apply to um, sell cannabis as well. And none of the tobacco retailers applied for that application. It, it isn't as much of a crossover, even though it's inhalation in, in some some mm -hmm. respect. Uh, but premium cigars are, are still very unique from that because it really isn't about inhalation yeah. uh, in that that sense or or a fix of of, of that. Um, to the previous question, I'll answer that a little bit differently. You know, what keeps me up at night? What should consumers and retailers and manufacturers, you know, be worried about in the future? Um, and I think these are, are things that we are making investments in as an, as an association. We've built a, a world-class advocacy organization that's able to tackle the challenges locally, at the state level, and federally. 
Um, the international level is a whole different ball game. Uh, they don't have the United States Constitution or the ability to have due process under law and challenge things in the court. That, that is a, a fail safe. And it's, um, you know, something that we um you know, kind of take for granted in this country. So, you know, we are working with Ryan um, to make sure that we stave off bad policy internationally. Bad policy has no, uh, and good policy has no border. So a lot of times you'll see crazy things popping up in the European Union or Australia and New Zealand. And then all of, all of a sudden a locality in Massachusetts, is, you know, they read it in Foreign Policy magazine and then they decide that they're going to try it here. Well, it doesn't work and it's against the law. We need to be able to challenge those front and center and do it very aggressively. The second thing is the private sector. So not even governmental entities, but, you know, social media a company, a bank, a, a texting platform, things like that, basically shutting down um, the ability to use a product or service as a tobacco uh, company. It's very unique. And, you know, I, I'm very excited about the future because of these wins and all that we've been able to achieve. But I also have a little bit of a pessimistic outlook that we'll always have to face different challenges, especially because you have a major industry that exists in the anti-tobacco movement where you have, you know, the Bloomberg philanthropies donating $400 million. That's what we're contending against. You know, it, that big number of 4 million, which, you know, was coddled together by retailers and manufacturers over, you know, the course of 10 years, that's a big number to us. Their numbers are 400 million. So it is the David versus Goliath story. Um, and they have the ability to fight internationally and they have the ability to fight and, and leverage things with the private sector uh, where, where we you know, have to really be strategic and have to be re really aggressive to push back in those two areas. Okay. Well, the, the last thing before we get into our next segment, uh, and this, this is uh, the, really the only question about the trade show that the PCA puts on every year. Um, first, I'll say that this year's, <laughs> which which was only, yeah, which was, I mean, it was only two months ago, you know, give or take a few days, that the the PCA 2023 trade show took place. I got to say, and I we said this on our recap show, um, I think this was one of the, it was the best PCA trade show in many years. It was a really, really well done trade show. Thank you. So, Glad you guys had a good time. So if we, if we look at, you know, it was only two months ago, but now we're roughly only six months away from the next trade show, which is, yeah. you know, happening in March. So how's everything, how's everything progressing for uh, planning for the March trade show? It's going well, full speed ahead. I was just out in Las Vegas um, after Rocky Mountain Cigar Fest. Uh, I went from Utah on vacation to Rocky Mountain Cigar Fest to Las Vegas. Um, so it was a lot of bouncing around for me. Uh, it was great. I had two weeks without the humidity. So for me, it was blissful. Um, spent a good two days in Vegas going through all the different, you know, uh, site visits and hotels and planning out everything. Um, 
we've got a lot of good things in store. We're working with uh, Resorts World. It's going to be our home base for the uh, hotel. Um, we've got six different hotels people can stay at to ensure that we've got enough rooms for everybody at discounted rates. Um, we're at the convention center in Central Hall. Um, and so uh, we have some really cool things that we're designing for the show this year. We are looking to expand the show floor because we are just about to sell out. And we got a lot of companies that want some space. So that's a great problem to have um you know uh the halls we reserved to have space was just about equal to what we had last year so uh we're gonna have even more companies next year at the show um and so um and uh and the great part is is that you won't have to put your cigar up if you're walking outside like across the street or as soon as you light up and you you when you walk into where our space is at, you never have to put your cigar out when you leave. Just when you finally, if you get in the Tesla tunnel or you get into a cab or something like that. Um, so much more kind of cigar friendly as, as we're looking at the design of the show next year. Um, but we got a lot of fun things that we're going to expand upon from what we learned last year um, and, and looking to be able to have a lot more time and events and networking events with cigar smoking events throughout the time that, that we have there in the evenings um, after different activities and stuff. So it's full speed ahead. Things are coming together fast, but uh, looking forward to it. I think it's going to be uh, uh, hopefully another step in the right direction for us. Are you yeah. guys, are you guys looking forward to changing this, the sites? I am. Future? I am. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm really excited. You know, it's funny because the problem is, is that with the frame of reference that folks have to New Orleans is they have New Orleans in July or August, you know, for the last few times that we were there. Um, and and not even the people who live there want to be there right at that yeah. time of year. Um, and so moving, moving to the springtime. Um, and when we did the site visits down there, what's really great is um, like a lot of convention centers, the New Orleans Convention Center is, you know, a governmental entity that kind of works that way. Right. So they set up a bunch of site visits for us to go to these different areas and locations where we can build out smoking events and so we can create and i'm actually really excited about new orleans i don't want to oversell it i want to undersell it and so just tell people it's going to be you know terrible but the, <laughs> the reality is is that um there's a lot of great things that we're already planning to do there that they've been looking forward to us i mean they they've been they, they really want us and so they know that obviously with the smoking ban that exists in new orleans they know that there's a lot of additional things that they needed to do uh to help you know kind of say hey look new orleans is a, is a place for us um you know in that time of the year obviously because of the change and everything new orleans um being able to have the show in the springtime there i do think new orleans is going to surprise folks because i think that they kind of remember you know swampy heat not a lot of places to smoke and it's going to be much different we we definitely plan the same way even with vegas being smoker friendly we're still planning on being able to create you know three and three days worth of of total smoking experience for people because a lot of business is done off the show floor i mean look if you're there you've only got so many hours in the day you're not going to see all 250 companies but if you have more you know three four five hours after the show floor where you're hanging out at different places where you can smoke with folks it's a great spot to be able to get introduced to new companies and meet people and continue to do business off the show floor. I was talking with one of our manufacturers who says, you know what, I probably do 30 to 40% of my business off the show floor when we're meeting the cigar lounges or bars. And so well, I'm looking forward to kind of getting away from, you know, this mass amount of people packed into a sardine can at Bar Luca. Uh, we're going to, it's going to be awesome next year. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, you know, I've, some people say that, you know, they don't like the Las Vegas, Las Vegas Convention Center. I actually love it. I think it's a great venue um, for a lot of reasons, but um, I, I am a huge fan of that venue. And looking also, you know, ahead to, you know, New Orleans, um, I am excited for it. I'm, I'm hopeful because I'm not, 
So here's the thing. The dates for I have a bone to pick with you about the dates for <laughs> Oh, here we go again. Well, so uh my my wife has a milestone birthday on it on April 14th in 2025. So I most likely won't be attending the 2025 PCA trade show. That's the last day of the show. Can't you just leave? That's what yeah. we said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I'm sure. I'm sure. We'll I be say there. that I'm... being married and knowing. Well, that's which is funny because <laughs> March. I'm, I'm going to be gone during my, you know, the um, my birthday. You know, for that. So it's you know, I say that in, in jest, but um, no, it's um, it, it's kind of funny uh, looking at that. Um, I I prefer the convention center just from an operational management standpoint. To be honest with you, the one thing that the convention center offers us um, is being able to. Hopefully, you know, we've had a lot of alcohol companies that have wanted to come. The problem is the Venetian presents a pretty big financial barrier for them to do it. Absolutely. The convention center makes it a lot easier for us. So we're guardedly optimistic at this point that the myriad of alcohol companies that have reached out to us over the years are going to be able to come this year. We're hopefully going to be able to set up like a spirits pavilion, almost like we did with the boutique pavilion. Hopefully, you know, we, we kind of have to get this this last hall kind of sorted out with the convention center beforehand. Um, but, you know, that's that's kind of the plan is that, that it adds more. And we're in the central hall. This is a really, really cool hall. Uh, it's not the south hall. So we were in the north hall in 2018 where the south hall where tpe normally is this is central so it's really cool because when you walk in not not only do we have a main street concept that's going because we, we have how we have to enter but we're going to enter it's kind of cool because as you enter you're going to be above the show floor and you have to walk downstairs to get onto the show floor so you're gonna have an awesome view of the whole show floor as you're sitting up above it when you walk in so it's it's going to be pretty uh and so we're kind of taking some some ideas for designing kind of the way we do our aspects of the show floor because of that um, and so it's not as wide, but it's going to be longer. So hence we've got, you know, main street, um, working on some couple of, of bigger ideas with some of these companies who are having some big milestones next year too. So a lot of things are in the works. And, um, uh, like I said, really looking forward to it. So, I mean, God, if we just pull off two or three of these things, it'll, it'll be a, it'll be a good show. Yeah. I'm are excited we, uh, for it. Are we looking forward to some of the companies that didn't come to the last couple PCAs coming back home? Yeah. This year? Yeah, absolutely. Look, Drew's already booked their booth. Forged has booked awesome. their booth. Um, Altidus has booked their booth. Um, so, yeah, um, you know, and, and even That's some conversations have started to happen with Davidoff. So, you know, I, I think that uh, there's progress being made there. Um, I think that with the change of, of the dates and with the sales cycles and uh, also with some of the other stuff that was kind of going on and previous, that's all kind of worked itself out. You know, we're all still on the same team here as all that's concerned. And I think that um, we're actually in a really good place, as Josh was talking about earlier, as an industry Um all of us in the same boat, all of us rowing in the right direction and understanding. I said this before. I said, look, I can understand the positions people took when all of a sudden you had, you know, I always likened it to, you know, the, 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 British Island, right. When Rome all of a sudden arrived at your shores, it was very easy to understand why all of, the tribes kind of just kind of compacted for, for, for self sort of survival there. It made all the sense in the world. It, it's counterintuitive, but you kind of had to, to kind of turn the wheels into the spin. Um, but again, I think we've matriculated very well as an industry as quickly as we have to be able to get to this point, to understand what we need to do and how we need to do it. And, and, and we can see how effective we've been um, up until the point to where Josh talked about this earlier, we've taken some of the anti's playbook and turned it back on them and started hitting at localities. Right. Yeah. You know, they tried to hit it up 
us with localities and trying to do this, what they call this local tax exemption, where counties could set taxes on cigarettes and cigars and tobacco and removing it from the governor's purview. Um, and we fought back and won every single one of those because they know that if they can have you know thousands of localities doing this, then it's a war of attrition with this. Well, we've won every single one of those and turned it right back and said, OK, we're going to get a cigar bar bill passed in Waco. We're going to go ahead and get a cigar bar bill passed here. We're going to do a tax cap over here. And and we're winning. We're, we're we are literally going out and we're doing this because they don't know how to play defense very well. And so if, if you look at the tone, too, of PCA and our, our communication, there's a newfound edginess. And it's something that we take a lot of pride in. You know, if you read the communications, the blog posts, you know, it is that, you know, we, we believe, like I said, we fight above our weight class. We have a you know world class advocacy organization. But, you know, we talked about UFC. It's like, you know, as we're walking in, we have a little bit of that swagger now because we, you know, we're three and oh against the FDA. Uh, we have a lot of wins at, at the states. And um, if you're you're going to beat us, it's going to take a lot. Yeah. yeah, I love that. And it's positivity going forward. And we're all yeah. about that. Yeah, All right, absolutely. so I think it's time. I think it's time think for so? this week's Numero de los Muertos. And as always, Numero de los Muertos is brought to us by our friends at Smoke In. I'm Steve here with a joke to tell you about Smoke In's Cigar of the Month Club. Every month, I personally handpick five premium cigars. Another great feature is our Double Down Club. With a simple check mark, you can get double this great selections every month and save $10. Every month, there's a special discount code where if you like any of the selections, you can get them at a special discounted rate for our Cigar of the Month Club members. We've made it super simple. All you got to do is log into your account. There's a little green button there. If it's green, you're active. You want to take a break going out of town, simply hit the button and you'll deactivate your membership. We get the stuff out on the 28th of every month. Our membership bills on the 28th, and we get every member's package out on the 28th if it's a shipping day. All delivered to your door for $34.95. Five great reasons on what makes Smoking Cigar of the Month Club the best club out there. Check it out. Peace. All right. Numero de los Muertos, episode 214. What you got, Matt? Now... I'm going to kind of continue the trend we've done for the last few weeks. Instead of, you know, some broad number, this one is another one where the number is one. Uno. Is one? Yeah. So it, it's just unique. Uno for you, it's it's totally weird. So I'll say this. This death occurred in 1854 in Cincinnati, Ohio. And... Did they have anal beads back then? The, um, the these pine cones. The, yeah, they, <laughs> they, they pine cones. <laughs> no, uh, that's not the answer. Roll. That, that's uh, and the um, the individual was thirteen years old. Wow. Eighteen what? 1854. One person. In, one Ooh. person in Cincinnati, Ohio, a 13-year-old. Boy or girl? Male. Male. Okay. That widens it. So. Women are smarter than men, mostly. Just okay. You just got to start breaking it down with 20 questions. Just. Was this on land? Yes. 
Okay. It wouldn't be a a workplace accident because there were 13, you said? 13. It might have been a workplace back then. (laughs) Not a a workplace accident. Okay. Did it have anything to do with animal? David Floyd wants No animals involved. No animals, huh? Directly involved. Oh. They may have been nearby. Was it? (laughs) They were watching. (laughs) Traveled by stagecoach? No. Okay. What year was this again? 1854. Oh, did they even have a? Yeah, they, okay. No, <laughs> I was like, yeah, they have wills back that way. <laughs> oh, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a farm, David Floyd says. No, Scott. No, nope, not a farm. Gosh, you got anything? Oh, let's see, eighteen fifty-four, Cincinnati, Ohio. Was this in done in the commission of a crime? No. It didn't have uh, anything to do with Skyline or Skyline Chili back then, right? Yeah, I don't think Skyline <laughs> Chili existed in eighteen fifty-four. Uh, maybe they ate the chili and had to shove a pine cone up their ass. <laughs> exactly. And that's where anal beads were invented. Um, <laughs> it's all full circle now, Roll. It, it's it's all, yeah. it all makes oh, sense wow. now. It's okay. all coming together. All right. Let's is it on a farm? It was not on a farm. Okay. okay. I got you, Floyd. So this is like a well known death, then this person like I wouldn't say it's well known, but I found it on a couple different websites. It was on the interweb, so Oh, so it's got to be real. It's got to be real. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Was the death accidental? <laughs> yes, the death was accidental. Okay. Did his sister beat him with a switch? No. Hmm. Come on, Ski. You got to have something in that mind of yours. He's thinking. I see it. So I'll say this. I'll give you a hint. The death occurred at an entertainment venue. I'm like what? what? <laughs> Wasn't a boxing match then? No. Nope, not boxing. Kind of, was it a festival? No, not a festival. Like a fair? Like not a fair. You guys are so close. A carnival. Not a carnival. Circus. Circus. It, it occurred at a circus in Cincinnati, Ohio. Were they part of the Ringling Brothers? I have no idea. <laughs> Was the kid a bystander or was he in the show? Uh, bystander. Bystander. Did he get like sat on by an elephant? Oh, hence the animals were nearby. Oh, yeah, so no, the I animals didn't cause it, but again, ah, okay, there so were, okay. he didn't get sat. An elephant didn't sit on him. Magi- right. Um, magician, the prestige. No, not a magician. Did the stands collapse and kill him? No. Did he die on a ride? No. Was this like a stage act? What do you time? What do you see a lot of in a circus? Poop clowns. 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 Okay. Oh, was he a performer? The no. He was a bystander. Right? He was a bystander. Did he get hit in the head with a clown juggling? Like, Cl- not exactly. Oh, so, okay. <laughs> all right. Will, William Snyder of Cincinnati, Ohio, died in 1854 at the age of 13, having been killed by being swung around the heel by the heels by a circus clown. <laughs> It was so. Yeah. Le- so what so circus clown fear is legitimate. Yeah, <laughs> it is. So just sitting, sitting on the bleachers, watching the circus. Yeah, and the clown was... grabs the kid to swing around, oh, yeah. and lost 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 hold of him. And that's why people have a fear his, of clowns. Whacked his head, and he was that's gone. That's why. Yeah, 
Golly. <laughs> Fucking clones. No touchy. No touchy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> bad touch, bad touch. The yeah, the exactly. the van the van says free candy, just walk away. Walk away. Okay. Just walk away. Okay. Well, it depends on the candy. <laughs> That's true. That's and how true. many pine cones they have. Right. The the van says free opus x i'm probably getting into van i'm sorry but i'm probably getting might into be van. Good van at that point. i'll tell your wife where you went because i'm not getting in the van <laughs> all right so that was this week's numero de los muertos David's All exactly right. right it's john wayne gacy that but i think john wayne gacy you know with the clowns goes back to 1854 cincinnati <laughs> That's right. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's jump into the lightning round brought to us by our friends at J.C. Newman Cigar Company, America's oldest family-owned premium cigar maker, creators of the popular Brick House, Perla Del Mar, Diamond Crown, and the American. J.C. Newman Cigar Company operates out of their 112-year-old El Relo Cigar Factory in historic Cigar City, Tampa, Florida. For more information on their cigars or their visitor experience, please visit jcnewman.com. All right. I got fresh lightning round questions. Fresh. 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 All right, Scott, I'm going to start with you. All right. If if given the choice to have your own talk show, who would your first celebrity guest be on your own talk show? I like this one. That's a great question. I'm going to go with Craig Ferguson. Oh, I love that answer. He he was one of my favorites. I really miss him. Yeah. His show was the the best. Uh, he's so hilarious. He's hilarious, and I think it'd just be a lot of fun. And, uh, yeah, so that's my first guess, Craig Ferguson. Nice. Josh, what about you? I would go with Joe Rogan. I, I would oh, want my yeah. show to take off right away, so get somebody that's established <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah. Get yeah. followers, get that like clout. That. Yeah, a good way to do it. You can hit a lot of things with him, too. Yeah. All right. So, Josh, you're going first on this one. Um, if you had to swap your legs with the legs of any other animal, which animal <laughs> would it be? Please say a dachshund. Please say a dachshund. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how you answer this question. I, you know, horse, you know, just go, go, go full horse racing quick. You Do know. you get the whole below the waist? <laughs> I'm going to go with yes. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm going gonna... with an elephant, but that's not. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. He's still like my hand. I'm still going with horse. Like, what, what were those? Mythical creatures. Half oh, the man, cent- half centaur. Centaur. Oh, yeah. the centaur. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, if you don't know what they are, I don't know if you can pick that. <laughs> Scott, what about you? Oh, let's do something fun. I'm gonna go with a frog. <laughs> oh, I love that. Are you gonna be able to jump like a frog at that point? Absolutely. I love it. Yes. That's awesome. I'm gonna be the first guy under five feet to win the dunk contest. <laughs> Every time somebody picks you up, you piss on them. <laughs> oh, I do that anyway. I might as well have legs. <laughs> All right. Uh Scott, what's your favorite happy hour drink? I'm going to go with an old fashioned. Uh, it's my tried and true. Okay. Josh, what about you? Manhattan. Oh yeah. Two sides of the same coin. That's yeah. Yeah. yeah it's it, every once in a while it's because I'm an old fashioned guy too, but 
then there's just times where I'm like, nope, nope, tonight's a Manhattan kind of night. It's it just sometimes it strikes me and and if you're in no, you don't you don't yeah. Raul's not a drinker. He's like, I have no idea what the hell you guys are talking about. <laughs> That's all right. I'll 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 pick up the slack for you guys. It's okay. Yeah. Katie's dad likes old fashioned, so I, <laughs> I watch him when I give him a good cigar. So you know what I just heard what he just said? Next time we go out, he's yeah. drinking our drinks for us. Wait, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 So when you come home flopping and flipping and banging <laughs> up the walls, yeah, I like it. That's all right. I don't have to worry about driving. It's no problem. Yeah, we you got know. two sober guys. Yeah, I got good. sober guys. I can just call an Uber, whatever. It's fine. All right. Uh, let's jump into this week's notable smokables brought to us by Luciano Cigars. Improving lives. Oops. Nope. That's not the right one. Uh, brought to us by Luciano Cigars. Notable cigars, notable passion, notable purpose. All right, so each week we name a cigar that we smoked recently that was notable to us. This could be a cigar that's been on the market for decades that we smoked for the first time in a very long time or a cigar that's brand new to the market that we smoked for the first time ever. So, Scott, what is something you smoked recently that was notable to you? I smoked the Drew Estate Liga, the Feral. Oh yeah, yeah. So I had that one, what, a couple of days ago. It was over the weekend, actually. Um, it was a nice day outside. Sat outside and uh, smoked that bad boy, and uh, it was the first one. I got a couple of those at the Rocky Mountain Cigar Fest, and so pulled one out and smoked it, and thoroughly enjoyed it. All the way in. Those are great. Awesome. Yeah, yeah I haven't had one of those in a couple of years. Yeah. It's it's a good cigar. And just for our viewers, these guys do smoke. They actually do smoke, <laughs> but they're in apartments, so they can't they can't enjoy oh, it. A lot. We smoke we smoke more than most, including those in the industry. The, I think the only people that smoke more than we do are the people that work in the factories. Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're the outliers. We when we say I always chuckle yeah. when I say the statistic of you know most average cigar aficionados smoke less than two a month. You know, like, I, and at that point, it's usually a 10 o'clock meeting and I've already smoked two. Yeah, so. We usually have two before noon. Are you up there with uh, George Burns? 18 nah, a day? Not, I would say not, I'm not, not, not five or six at, yeah. Yeah, at this yeah. stage. stage of the day. Day. Yeah. So, Josh, what's a notable smokable you had recently? So, I'm getting ready to go and visit in October uh, in Luca, Italy, Toscano. And oh, nice. um, at the trade show, they gave me uh, a lot of their products that are only available in Italy. Mm. And they have an, another company that's under the Toscano umbrella um, that is this special air air cured tobacco. And um, it was f phenomenal. Um, and I'm looking forward to getting more of those. And I, I we actually were on a call with Toscano a couple of days ago and I promised Scott, I would bring, bring some of those back. Yeah. Um, but I think that, you know, be notable smokable, I think they're doing a lot of unique stuff with Toscano um, and the pairings that we, you know, we did an event with um, Michael in, um, you know, at the Italian embassy a few months ago and just the level of, you know, pairing and education that they brought to the table. Uh, you know, you mentioned cocktails in the question, you know, we said old fashioned in Manhattan. Another cool one is the Godfather cocktail, which I, you mm -hmm. know, learned there and, you know, was smoking it, smoking the cocktail with a Toscano cigar. Um, 
so that that was really interesting. So I would say that they're they've really seeing full circle four years ago, um, my first trade show to where they are now. I'm also very impressed um, with them as a company in addition to, you know, what they've been putting out product wise. Nice. I love it. What is that? What is that drink made of? Yeah. What's in a Godfather cocktail? Uh, Di Serona Amaretto and Bullet Bourbon was what Michael Mm -hmm. used. um, Those two. I've right. experimented with different bourbons and whiskeys with it, um, just with with the uh, Desrogno. It was really interesting because uh, when he did the tasting, he, you took a big puff of the cigar and one element of the tasting, it blew it into your glass and covered it for just a few seconds and opened it up and you took the sip. It really presented cherry forward flavor because it was neutralizing some of the alcohol that was in there and you're getting real cherry forward flavor of it. And then you take a sip and then you take another puff with the cigar. It was it was fantastic. I mean, it really reminded me some of the wine tastings and pairings that we did with like some of the sweet wines and the blue cheese and it changing the complexion on your palate. It was phenomenal. Like I it, it was it was outstanding. So I've done that uh, a few times. I've got like a, a dad's group of uh, with my kids at their school and we get together. We try to get together once a month for some bourbons and some, and I'm, I bring the cigars, right? Hmm. So I did that with them. So we tried to even without, I tried to find Toscano cigars, but I, the, my local brick and mortar didn't have any. So I just took a handful of cigars and it worked with other cigars too, to, to do the tasting and everything else. But um, with that specific c- cigars that we were smoking that night was a really good pairing. Oh, I love it. You can also do a godmother, which is vodka and Desaronio as well. Oh, okay. okay. That's a good one too. Very cool. Uh, Justin, what was a notable for you this week? Um, I finally tried the Crux Epicure Habano. Finally. Finally. <laughs> I'm, fi- I'm finally getting around to some PCA cigars from this year. Mostly still smoking PCA <laughs> from last year. From last year. But yeah, got to the Crux Epicure Habano, and that was a good one this weekend. So. That is very one. nice. Yeah. Uh, Raul, notable smokable. Right He's there. Smoking right it right there. now. The this Quin, is a, Quinquagenario. This is the third one I've got since I picked up a box uh, on Saturday. Very nice. nice. Yeah, I'm, in, I'm enjoying it thoroughly right now. It's it's very nice. Thanks, Kip. Uh, my notable was um, not my first cigar of the day, but the first cigar I smoked when we got to Cigars and Baseball on Thursday. Mm. Fired up the Davidoff Millennium Lancero. Mm. Um, oh, nice. Just Quit talking dirty to me. Oh, so good. Just like a rich chocolate bar with mm. uh, pepper, and it's just Say no more, Matt. fantastic. Say no more. I know. Yeah. Uh, so that was this week's Notable Smokables, brought to you by Luciano Cigars, improving lives through fine cigars. Visit LucianoCigars.com to learn more. Uh, so we're going to let you guys know about some coming attractions we have soon on How About That Cigar Live. Uh, before we get to that... Oh. Um, I want to give a shout out to, could you put up the, there we go. That one. So our friend Kalina, who is a regular at uh, smolder cigar lounge down in St. Peter, Minnesota. Uh, she has started putting together uh, a travel company for cigar travel. And so she, uh, it's called way of the leaf travel. And she is, uh, her next trip is January 7th through the 12th of 2024. Uh, I believe there are eight spots available. There may be fewer than that now, but there are still spots available. Uh, so if you look there at the bottom of the screen, you'll see uh, Kalina at wayoftheleaftravel.com. Uh, so shoot her an email and find out about how you can book 
your own spot on that on that trip. Uh, you're going to go to multiple factories in Nicaragua, and they're probably going to Oveja Negra. Oveja Negra is definitely one of the spots. I don't I don't know the others, but that's yeah, definitely one of the stops. All that, so yeah, she's really good friends with Sin and all them. So yeah, yeah. and if if you haven't been to uh, on a cigar factory tour, uh, I th- I think as a cigar lover, it's a must. It's just an absolute joy to get to spend time in the factories and see the process uh, firsthand. Uh, but let's, yeah, let's uh, get to our coming attractions brought to us by our friends at A.J. Fernandez. Born and raised in Cuba, A.J. Fernandez now produces unparalleled premium cigars in Esteli, Nicaragua. The A.J. Fernandez portfolio of cigars provides blend, strength, and flavor profiles to match the preferences of any premium cigar consumer. Whether it's New World, Diaz de Gloria, San Lotano, Enclave, or Bayas Artes, you are sure to be satisfied with a premium cigar from AJ Fernandez. All right, so next Monday hold, night. Hold up, hold up. Can you just, what's like, up? like, before I go to bed every night, just sit there and read like, <laughs> your commercials to me and just soothe me to sleep because I love that voice. Oh, I already do that. Oh. You just don't, he's you don't, just don't see me. He's got a oh, face for radio. Man. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, you just broke the, I mean, it's yeah. the, the surprise is over now, but I basically, <sighs> I sit outside your window every night That's and good. you just don't see me. Now you're just <laughs> he's your noise machine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. So next Monday night on the 25th, we have on Fon from Drew Estates and we're going to have a super cool giveaway. So do not miss Ooh, next week's giveaway. show. I'm going to be posting more information about that soon on how about that cigar.com. You know, Drew estate goes big. Oh, Drew estate does <laughs> not fuck around when it comes to giveaways. So you guys do not want to miss next week's show. I guarantee it. Uh, then on October 2nd, we have Mike Giordano from quality importers. We're going to talk about Zycar and Palio and humidors and storage and just all the cool accessories that those guys have. And then October 8th, Pete Johnson from Tatuaje. Ooh, I feel the, like uh, monsters. It's in the month of monsters. It's yeah. the best time to talk to Pete Johnson. Yeah. Never so, heard of the guy. Never heard of the guy. Yeah, never right. Heard of him. Right, right. Yeah, right. Uh, Scott and Josh, guys, thank you again so much for being a part of How About That Cigar Live on episode 214. Um, where where can people find you, you know, on social media and keep up with everything you guys have going on? Yeah, uh, PCA 1933 on all the socials for all the PCA stuff. Um, Instagram, Scott C. Pierce, um, I'm mostly just sort of sharing all the PCA stuff as it were, um, and some stuff and, uh, just Scott Pierce on Facebook. I mean, with uh, LinkedIn with PCA as well. So, um, and Josh, I, I have the Wolf of K street handle on Instagram. So again, a little edgier, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, mostly on Facebook and LinkedIn reposting all the, uh, stuff that, that PCA that we put together there. So. So, so for those of us that don't know, what is the Wolf of K Street? So <laughs> K Street is lobbying. So you have the Wolf of Wall Street. Okay. So K Street is the street in D.C. where all the lobbyists are. Okay. Uh, so a little bit of a play on words. I always thought by getting that Instagram handle and using it, I would one day sell it. Yeah. Uh, which is that's that's the plan. Okay. I was wondering, I'm like, Wolf of K Street, what is that? Yeah, so it. K Street, so if you go back, George Clooney produced a TV show for HBO probably 20 years ago called K Street that was set to kind of be almost sort of a fictionalized expose of what the – because K Street's where a ton of, like, lobby shops set up, yeah. right? Okay. So if you're ever bored you want to go see it, it wasn't that great, but yeah. K Street's kind of been known as, like, the lobbyist corridor. 
Thank you. Love it. Well, guys, keep up the good work. We really appreciate all the work you do for us uh, as cigar consumers and uh, keeping the wolves at bay <laughs> and, uh, you know, keep, keeping our freedoms alive to enjoy the cigars that uh, people work so hard to make and that, uh, you know, we work hard for the money to buy our cigars and enjoy them. So thank you so much for the hard work uh, and keep it up. Let us know any way we can support you. Thank you. We, we Thank both you. truly love the industry. So it's uh, very much a privilege for us to be able to, to kind of leverage the skill sets and talents that we have to, to put to good use here within the industry to uh, make sure that people that have the skill sets and talents for everything from what you do to blending and selling and curating experiences can do so unabated. So we appreciate yeah. it. Absolutely. Thank Viewers you. and listeners, guys, thank you so much for watching this episode of How About That Cigar Live on Facebook and YouTube. Uh, and for our, our listeners on the audio podcast, of course, thank you so much. I would appreciate it if everybody would take just a minute. And there it is. Click smash on, that like button. Smash that like button. And not only subscribe, but anytime you see one of our videos that you like, click the like button. The algorithms are finicky, and it really, really does make a difference for us if you click on the like button, whether that's on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, or Facebook. The like button is our friend, and we appreciate you guys taking that one second it takes just to click on that like button. Make sure Thank that you, guys you so much. ring the bell when you subscribe so you'll get all the notifications. That's right. You know, we're a cigar thick show, so we might not you know, be able <laughs> to push it on YouTube, but if you hit that bell button, that's right. you'll be able to see when we go live. Exactly. Uh, if you guys have questions, please email us on the website, howaboutthatcigar.com. Follow us on all your favorite social media platforms at HBT Cigar. And of course, until we see you guys next time, burn cigars, not bridges. See you guys. Any comments, opinions, viewpoints, or statements presented or uttered by guests on the HBTC podcast, HBTC live video streams, and all other media from HBT Media LLC are solely those of the individual and do not necessarily represent the opinions or viewpoints of How About That Cigar or its parent company, HBT Media LLC, any of our advertising partners, or the premium cigar industry. The primary purpose of How About That Cigar is to entertain and to encourage activity and growth within the community of people who enjoy or want to learn about the enjoyment of premium premium cigars.